your meetings with the Joneses, have they given you clarity on your job security? And amid all the rumors and the gossip, can you share that clarity with us, please? Yes, I, I've had a chance to, you know, talk to Jerry, um, you know, after the game for a long time. Also, in saw him again Monday, so you know, we had very positive, you know, conversation and just, you know, the focus on the, on the, you know, the evaluation process. So, I, I don't see it that way. I'm, I'm focused on the exit interview process. That was earlier today, Mike McCarthy. Head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. This is PFTPM. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio here with you on Peacock and Sirius XM 85 for the next hour. Plenty to unpack, as they say, from McCarthy's exit interview or end-of-season press conference or whatever we want to call it. It was anything but a farewell in his mind. Every coach, every coach is confident that he's still the coach until he isn't. And I'm not saying McCarthy's going to be out, but I wouldn't have expected him to behave any differently today if the Joneses are thinking about making a change. And I don't know that they are. I've argued all week long that they should take a step back and have an objective process and ask themselves if Mike McCarthy has taken them as far as he can. If so, time for a change. If not, time to reload. I think it's that simple, Shereen. The question is, are they engaging in that analysis? Yeah, you know, I was convinced, and you know I've said this all along the last two or three weeks, that I thought there was a chance that they could fire Mike McCarthy after the season if they went one and done. And they did go one and done. They were the only home team to lose in the postseason, the only favorite to lose in the postseason. So you would think that there would at least be a question in the Joneses' mind about Mike McCarthy's future. But then after listening to Jerry Jones in that scrum after the game, I was convinced that he thinks that Mike McCarthy is the right coach for the Cowboys. And Stephen Jones reiterated that on the radio on Monday. So I'm convinced that Mike McCarthy now is back for another year. He will go into the 2022 season, assuming he is truly back, as the hottest coach on the hot seat. That seat will be so hot for him. But one thing about it, Mike... We do know the Joneses do not like paying off coaches. Jerry is cheap in a lot of things, and I think that probably plays a part in his mind, too. Couldn't you just put him to work on the yacht? Couldn't, I, I mean, seriously, when you think <laughs> of the obscene go. money that he spends, has spent on buying the yacht, and does spend monthly to maintain the yacht with a full crew of dozens of employees, why would you ever hesitate to buy out a coach if you think the coach isn't getting it done. That is amazing to me. That's the one area where he has something in common with Mike Brown, the owner of the Bengals. They hate to pay coaches to not work, and he hates to do it even if it's the right thing to do. And I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I'm saying they owe it to themselves and they owe it to their fan base to engage in an objective analysis. The same analysis that Mike McCarthy will engage in as it relates to his players, the Joneses, will as well. They're the ones who actually run the show, but McCarthy will have input on who should come back, who should get a contract, who should be cut, who should be traded. He'll do it objectively based upon their performance. It's only fair that the head coach, who ultimately is judged by wins and losses, be in the same boat. Now, Shereen, I think that one thing that could happen, haven't written this yet, it's on my list of things to get to today. It's a concept that doesn't get used very often, We have discussed it among the PFT staff. It could happen in Dallas. It could happen in Tampa Bay this year. It happened with Eric DaCosta, the GM of the Ravens, before Ozzie Newsom retired. It happened with Jim Caldwell, who became the head coach of the Colts after Tony Dungy retired. And it happened with Jim Mora, who was the one-year coach of the Seahawks after Mike Holmgren retired. The agreement in advance, firm written commitment that a current member of the staff will become the head coach or the GM at a certain date in the future, or more specifically, when the current coach is done, whenever that may be, that is an exception, a clear exception to the Rooney rule. You don't have to engage in a search if you do all of that in advance. The teams have the right to do it. It doesn't get discussed much. I get the feeling the league office doesn't want the teams to remember that it can be done because they'd rather they engage in a full search for every opening and not take advantage of that exception, but we've confirmed that exception applies. That would be their answer. Keep Kellen Moore, who's a hot commodity, and give him the commitment that he becomes the head coach whenever they're done with Mike McCarthy, whether it's after 2022, 2023, 2024, whenever. 
Yeah, you know, my, I'm not convinced that Kellen Moore is going to be a great head coach, but I do think that Jerry sees him as his Sean Payton. That is one of Jerry Jones's biggest regrets is letting Sean Payton leave. Now, Sean turned down the Raiders job and came back to the Cowboys, but then left for New Orleans before Bill Parcells retired. They could have done that with him. And so he wouldn't have gone to New Orleans, would have stayed in Dallas. And we know how much Jerry thinks of Sean and Sean thinks of, of Jerry. So I think that Jerry sees Kellen Moore as the next Sean Payton. I have questions about whether he is. I don't know what they've seen to know that he's the next Sean Payton. But maybe we didn't know Sean Payton was Sean Payton either until he went to New Orleans and won a Super Bowl. So I do think they're convinced, though, that Kellen Moore is the next head coach of the team. They're probably going to lose Dane Quinn maybe to, to Denver. They can start over with a defensive coordinator, but I, I think that's something that they could use with Kellen Moore. Now, how, do you keep that from Mike McCarthy, or does Mike McCarthy know about that? That puts him on an even hotter seat, uh, if that's the case, if he finds out they've done this with Kellen Moore. Well, and let's pivot to the Sean Payton possibility because – we mentioned this yesterday on PFT Live, either yesterday or the day before, and it's mentioned in Playmakers, which comes out March 15, pre-order now, wherever you can pre-order your books. Sean Payton nearly became the coach of the Cowboys a few years ago, and the reason why it didn't happen will blow your mind. That's not a fake tease. It blew my mind when I found out about it. It will blow your mind when you find out about it, but I'm not telling you about it because I want you to buy the book. And Shereen, don't you say what it is. If you've read it, I don't think you have. I don't think you have. It's there. She hasn't read it. She doesn't know what I'm talking about. Maybe I have she does. Read it. But I do know what but you're talking about. If you're going to go after Sean Payton, you you have to know you're going to get him before you release the bird in the hand. That's the challenge. There's a lot of backroom stuff that needs to go down that violates the spirit of the Rooney rule where you line up what the compensation would be for Sean Payton. You line up what the contract would be for Sean Payton. Then you fire Mark McCarthy. Then you engage in a open search. Then, after you've done your search, you throw your hands in the air and you do a trade for Sean Payton, even though the trade for Sean Payton was in place before you ever fired Mike McCarthy. So, my point is this. If Jerry Jones is plotting something like that, and now would be the time. I, I'm I, Look, yeah. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying it almost happened once. And you look at where the Cowboys are right now. You look at where the Saints are right now. The planets are aligning. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying from the standpoint of this would be a time where it would make sense. Don't know that it's going to happen. Don't know it would ever happen again. Don't know that it's even going to be considered. All I'm saying is it's not something that would trigger immediate firing of Mike McCarthy. They would have to get everything lined up, then fire McCarthy. So that would take some time. That would take, I don't know, a week. Two weeks? I don't know. But we could see a delayed reaction firing of McCarthy if they think they can eventually get Peyton. That all has to happen behind the scenes before they would fire McCarthy. Yeah, and Sean Peyton would, would have his quarterback and would be back in Dallas where he still has a home, all those things. We know how much Sean Peyton thinks of this place. And I think it's underused, Mike, the idea of training for a head coach because, to me, Number one in winning is your quarterback. Number two in winning is your coach. And I just think coach makes such a huge difference. And in my mind, Sean Payton's one of the best coaches in the NFL. He's one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. I can't imagine what he would do if he had Dak Prescott. I, I just think it would be a match made in heaven. And, and if you are looking to change coaches, if that's something on your mind, I would definitely look at trading some draft picks to get me a head coach like Sean Payton, who's done it. You know what he is. He's been here. 20 years ago, it took two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and $8 million in cash to get John Gruden away from the Raiders to the Buccaneers at a time when Gruden had one year left on his contract in Oakland. It was a great windfall for the Raiders, and it was kind of at the point where Al Davis was kind of done, wanted to move on. Gruden was becoming a little too big to, to the brand. You know, Al Davis was the center of the universe. Gruden was becoming the center of the universe. It just worked out perfectly. My point is this. Whatever you give up, to get the coach, if it's truly a great coach. And I'm more and more convinced the more I cover the NFL, think about it, watch it, talk to people, there's a handful of great coaches and there's everybody else. If you can get a great coach, 
I don't care what it costs by way of draft picks. You have a known commodity who is going to come in and transform your team and get the most out of who you have. And, you know, we talk about it all the time as it relates to what coaches get paid. They don't get paid nearly enough in relation to what their value is. $33.5 million for Jared Goff. $33.5 million for Sean Payton or Bill Belichick or one of the other great coaches in the NFL. Hmm, let me think. What's the better dollar-for-dollar deal? What's the better return on my investment for my team? It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. So if you're not paying the coach what you'd pay Jared Goff, give up a couple of first-round draft picks. No big deal because your coach is going to make up for it, especially if your coach has an eye for personnel like Belichick, like Peyton, and like some of the other high-end great coaches have. Yeah, no question, Mike. And and I wouldn't put Mike McCarthy in that class of coaches that we're talking about. I know he leans on that Super Bowl championship that he's won with Aaron Rodgers, but in the ten seasons since, he's five and seven. He's missed the playoffs three of the last four seasons that he's coached, two of those in Green Bay, two of those in Dallas. 29-31-1 and one in those four seasons. I think one of those seasons he did miss Aaron Rodgers for part of that season. Nonetheless, and he missed Dak Prescott last season. I get all that. That plays into it. But still, a losing record in the last four years, missed the playoffs three of the last four, and just laid that egg. That just is what sticks is that egg that the Cowboys – Late on Sunday, and in Dallas-Fort Worth, I mean, the talk is still the Cowboys choke and Mike McCarthy, and let's get rid of Mike McCarthy. Everywhere you go, everywhere I've been this week, it's is Mike McCarthy going to be back as the head coach? And when you say, yes, I think so, they are not happy. These fans are <laughs> They say curse words. They say profanity. Yeah. They say words that we, we can't, can't utter either. here. That's what happens. That's what happens. Trust me, Cowboys fans are ready to move on. But whether it's something as simple as Jerry Jones doesn't want to admit he's wrong, Jerry Jones doesn't want to pay the buyout, whatever the case may be, they're not moving on. Unless behind the scenes mm-hmm. unless let's just watch and wait let's have some fun let's enjoy the playoffs and let's just watch and wait you never know with the nfl stranger things have happened just this week something strange that happened on sunday to cap the cowboys loss to the 49ers the final play the disaster the the roadblock in the way of the umpire who was supposed to go spot the ball so dak prescott could snap and spike it here's mike mccarthy from earlier today talking about that fateful final play of the playoff loss to san francisco in this particular instance uh, i think when you see tyler get the ball he look he looks for the umpire you know he, t- he turns and looks for the umpire so I think it's only a natural reaction to, you know, because if, if he's if, if the umpire is not there, we're, we're taught to put the ball in a, in a proper proper space. And I think not only you know the, the distance that the umpire had to come from, you know, and the collision that he was part of, you know, uh, you know I, I can't speak on his behalf. You know, what he saw actually what the spot was. You know, as far you know basically on the way it all happened. So, um, you know, usually, you know. The training tapes will show you, you know, nine out of ten of them are, are tap, and a, you know we call it a three-two-one. The clock's coming down three-two-one because you want to snap that ball right at two seconds. So, yeah, I, I don't have any problem with uh, with our mechanics, but uh, yeah, I mean, if the umpire's right there, yeah, give it to him because you know we talk about two resets. You know, they, everybody's got to get set, and then there's a potential reset if the ball's not properly spotted based on how the ump feels in it. But you know. Trying to eliminate that step, if you put it right on the hash, you know, on the edge of the half with the tip on it, which is the same mechanics that the the umpires use, then you're hoping to save a step there. Where that's usually when it becomes a tap, and it's really my understanding is, you know, as long as they have what they feel is an appropriate spot, which usually in that instance, you know, coming down to the wire like that, you usually get the tap there. Shereen, what dressing do you like on your word salad? Do you like oil and vinegar, a little, little French, a little, little Thousand Island? I'm, oh, come right. on. Talking and talking and talking and saying nothing. And don't give us excuses. Don't give us explanations. This gets back to what we were talking about. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We can either be honest with people or we can sugarcoat it in order to preserve access and kiss everyone's ass like others do. Watch other shows if that's what you're interested in. Here you're going to get the truth. The truth is this. Mike McCarthy isn't in the group of great head coaches because great head coaches are detail-driven. And the detail includes, as we've said earlier this week, when you practice the play, you have someone playing the role of the umpire who has to get through traffic to spot the ball so you can spike it. You can't simulate that without someone playing the role of the umpire. And we'll take it one step farther. In the timeout, 
before that play is called, you find a way to grab the umpire or the referee or both and say, hey, we're going to run it here. Be ready. Because that split second of the umpire saying to himself, oh, crap. There you go. Oh, crap. I got to get down there. Oh, crap. Here we go. Oh, crap. I got to get through this. That that delays it and potentially keeps you from getting it done as well. The umpire did everything humanly possible to get in position to allow them to snap the ball. It's not his fault. They shouldn't make it directly or indirectly his fault in any way. He busted his ass to get in position. It's on the Cowboys for not understanding that he had to get through the bodies, for not practicing it with an umpire being simulated in that setting and ultimately not giving the officiating crew a heads up. That's their fault across the board. Belichick, Sean Payton, if they're going to pin their season on that play, you know damn well they're going to be paying attention to those details, Shireen. Oh, absolutely. And everything you just said, Mike, because when you watch it, the umpire is, he ends up probably 30 yards behind the play. And I mean, he's flying to get up there. You just see him flying to get up there. But first of all, Dak Prescott, and he was asked this in, in the postgame press conference, why didn't he slide earlier? You didn't need to get to the 24-yard line, which actually was probably the 26-yard line, but neither here nor there. You didn't need to get quite that close. Slide earlier if you're going to do that. Tell the umpire before the play happens so he knows not to take those steps back and to go forward. I mean, all the, to me, they did everything possible wrong in that play. I yelled out in the Prescott box when he took off. I said, what are you doing? And Clarence Hill, who was sitting close to me, says, well, they're trying to get closer. I said, you don't have time to do that. And everything I've read and people I've talked to said they wouldn't have run that play with less than about 16 to 18 seconds on the clock at that point. They would have thrown to try to get closer and then throw it into the end zone. The Cowboys chose to do it with 14 seconds on the clock, and they got what they got. And why they thought there was going to be a a review of it, there was nothing to review there. There was absolutely nothing to review. And there had to be at least two seconds to put any time back on the clock, and we know there were not two seconds left on the clock when he spiked it. So in that instance, why didn't they run a play? Why did they spike the ball? So many questions on this play, but hey, They weren't good enough to win this game. They shouldn't have won this game. They shouldn't have come down to that play because San Francisco should have put them away far before that. You know, it's funny. I'm reminded of that Monday night game between the Bears and the Steelers. And the NFL loved the fact that the focal point of the attention after the game was the Cassius Marsh posturing toward the sideline, the Tony Carrente hip check, because it provided perfect cover for and distraction from the horrendous low block call that Corrente made to take a touchdown off the board. And this is similar. At some level, the Joneses have to love the fact that this is attracting attention away from the fact that their team sucked on Sunday and they should have lost by more than 20 points. And but for Jimmy Garoppolo being Jimmy Garoppolo, they would have. That's really the headline of this. They should have never been in a position to have a shot at the end zone that late. But, you know, whether it's Throwing the ball to the slot receiver, you can have as few as 12 seconds and gain eight yards and clock it. I've been told by a coach that's possible. Or just throw two Hail Marys from the 40. Or or take the 30. I I firmly believe I'd rather have the 30 for one shot at the end zone than the 25. Because with the 25, they can more aggressively guard the end zone. At the 30, they have to be wary of of the, the final 10 yards where maybe you could drop something in there. So failure across the board. And this is why... The Joneses have to ask themselves, have we entrusted our team, our franchise, our mega yacht worth 10 times the amount of the mega yacht that Jerry Jones bought a few years ago? Are we comfortable making the captain of that ship, Mike McCarthy? And if you are, hey, you're going to get what you deserve. Yeah, that's right, Mike, because it's not going to be any different next year. I don't see this thing being – and, in fact, it could be worse if you lose Dan Quinn to Denver or somewhere else. Who are you going to get in here as defensive coordinator? Because he's probably going to be assistant coach of the year with the job he did with this defense. So now you're starting over with a new defensive coordinator, so it actually could be worse next season than it was this season. And you've got so many free agents. You're over the salary cap next season. There are a lot of things that I I just don't see this Cowboys team – taking another step next year, which is what it will take for Mike McCarthy to keep his job if he keeps it into 2022. There have been scattered complaints from Cowboys players in recent weeks about the number of penalties they take, and Sims has been very adamant about this on our morning show, and he's accurate. They're committing the penalties. These aren't bad calls. These are 
penalties that they are committing and they are being flagged. You can't ignore obvious penalties. You have to call them as a game official. So that's not on the officials. That's on the players. Here's McCarthy from earlier today talking about the issues with penalties and the connection between penalties and discipline. I just did three days of exit interviews, talked to every every member of our football team, just concluded about 1 o'clock, and they're very accountable. And our number one focus moving forward is the penalties. I mean, it's, it's, it's um, you know, way too many. Uh, you know, you look at the pre-snaps, there's, there's no excuse for it. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, that's been, a, it's been a focus all year. We've been coaching penalties since week one. I mean, it's uh, so, uh, it's, it's something that, you know, particularly the holding and the pre-snap penalties. Those are the two that jump off the charts. Um, so uh, we, we definitely, definitely need to be much better in that area. I'm confused. During the exit interviews, we talk to the players about penalties and they're very accountable. Well, what accountability is there now unless it truly is an exit interview and they're never coming back? That's the ultimate accountability. I don't know what the accountability is when the season's over. The accountability has to happen week in and week out, so you don't have this. This is just offense and special teams on the screen from just Sunday's game alone against the San Francisco 49ers. And then there were plenty of defensive penalties, and it was illegal hands to the face by Neville Gallimore that extended the drive by the San Francisco 49ers that allowed them to take more time off the clock that never would have let it come down to that tick, tick, tick final 20 seconds. They would have had a lot more time. It's the next to the last call. You see it there, 436 to play, third and 12. The 49ers were off the field and punting, but for Neville Gallimore being called for illegal use of hands, hands to the face, another first down, more time off the clock. Less time for the Cowboys when they finally got the ball back. It's inexcusable. And we know from Bill Belichick how obsessed he is with limiting the number of penalties that his team has because that's real field position and that over time can screw you five yards 10 yards 15 yards that will kill you if you have too many penalties I laughed when we were watching the Mike McCarthy video right there because he talked about coaching penalties. Bill Parcells used to always say, I don't coach penalties, but yet they were always one of the lowest penalized team. This season, the Cowboys were the most penalized team in the NFL during the regular season. They set a franchise record with those 14 penalties. And you talk about the Gallimore penalty. What about the Randy Gregory penalty for defensive holding there that would have probably gotten them the ball back sooner there at the end of the game and they wouldn't have been rushing and probably would have had time left on the clock to try to make some throws into the end zone if not for that. But it is what it is. They, they did that all season. When I looked at the 14 penalties, I, uh, maybe there were two you could argue. I think Trent, Trent Williams drew Randy Gregory offsides on two of those. Those were two five-yard penalties. Those were early. And the official actually talked to Trent Williams uh, during a timeout. I, I watched that conversation, and Trent Williams was, was not happy with the conversation. So I think those were probably two missed penalties. Even if you take those out, it's 12 penalties and some very costly penalties for the Cowboys. But, Mike, it's what they did all year long. And, you know, one of the reasons why, as you say, why is Kellen Moore such a hot candidate? He's part of the problem. He's the offensive coordinator. He, he's he got a role in making sure that they're designing the right plays, calling them at the right time, practicing them properly. And Moore's role becomes even more critical when we consider the criticisms that Troy Aikman, who desperately wanted to call the Cowboys 49ers game. He had a funny line about that during the game that he did get on Sunday, the Buccaneers hosting the Eagles. But here's Aikman from one of the local radio stations. I can't remember which one. Something the ticket, 96-7, 97-6, I don't know. Yeah. Something, something in the 90s, point something. Here's Trey Aikman uh, with his criticism of the Cowboys' offensive approach and specifically their inability or unwillingness to get the ball to receiver C.D. Lamb. San Francisco rushed four guys for the most part. They blitzed occasionally, but they're a four-man rush football team. But a lot of times when you say that, then you think, oh, well, they're playing coverage. Well, they did, they mixed in some coverage, but there was a lot of single coverage on CeeDee Lamb. It was back when I was playing, and I hate going back to that point because nobody cares. But what I see around the leagues, not just Dallas, it was in Philadelphia. I've seen it with a lot of teams that a lot of these offenses, they want to scheme things. The the coordinators just, it's all about scheme. Rather than this corner is playing soft, he's scared to death, just run the route tree. Just run a comeback. Run a, run a dig route. Run a curl. Run anything. And you're going to complete the pass whenever you want. 
And Irvin would have had 10 catches at halftime if they had played us the way that they played CeeDee Lamb in that game. The game's not that difficult. If, if I've got a great player at wide receiver and a corner is playing him single coverage, throw him the ball. Yeah. You know, he's going to win most of the time. Yeah, it's a great point by Troy Aikman. We overcomplicate football so many times. It only comes down to if you've got superior talent and the other team is overmatched physically, getting that player the football in his hands over and over and over again. And again, what what do the best coaches do? They spot a weakness and they exploit it. They don't feel guilty about it. They're not caught up in their scheme, their approach, their philosophy. We have a mismatch. We're going to win the game by taking advantage of the mismatch. We're going to force them to overcompensate for the mismatch, and then we'll find some other mismatch when they reallocate their resources on defenses to try to account for the mismatch we're exploiting. It's that simple. When you don't do that, and I guarantee you Aaron Rodgers and the Packers will do that to the 49ers this weekend, when you don't do it, you squander your chances to score points, and you put yourself in a position when you're down 16 points late in the second half. Yeah, and my question is, and I need to text Troy and ask him this particular question, is does he think that's on Kellen Moore or is that on Dak Prescott? Is is Kellen Moore doing enough to to scheme these things up? But it sounds like to me he's putting it on Dak, that Dak's not finding the, the player who's in single coverage. I do know that CeeDee Lamb had zero targets in the first half. That just can't happen, Mike. I think he's their best receiver. I think he's better than Amari Cooper. No targets in the first half. Even if you want to argue that Amari Cooper is better than CeeDee Lamb, you've got to get Lamb some targets in the first half. They didn't do that. Five targets total, one catch for 21 yards. That was it. That's all he had. That's not enough for him, especially being in single coverage for much of the game. Um, you know, I uh, when you when you when you said that you need to text Troy Aikman. First of all, uh, I don't have Troy Aikman's number, so good for you. Second of all, <laughs> do you have Roger Staubach's number? That's the one that you really would want to be able to text. Okay, so just making sure, just making sure your once future <laughs> husband from years ago. I just wanted to make sure that you were able to track him down if need be. But again, Packers aren't going to play that game. Packers are going to take full advantage of any and all weaknesses they find. Aaron Rodgers is going to deliver the football. It's going to be there, and they're going to move forward. They're going to score points, and it's going to be a longer day for the 49ers defense than it was on Sunday, especially if they don't have Nick Bosa. That's the one big question that hovers over the 49ers defense. If you don't have Nick Bosa there to help get after Aaron Rodgers, he's got more time to wait for those mismatches in the secondary to manifest themselves. Let's take a break. When we return... Bruce Arians gets a punishment for something that happened on Sunday that didn't get nearly as much attention as it should have, plus the futures of quarterbacks in Pennsylvania. We'll discuss that when PFTPM continues right after this. You definitely uh, appreciate this game a lot more when you're away from it, being away from your teammates, just having that camaraderie and you know going to, going to work every day and going out to play on Sundays um, each and every week. Definitely miss that, and um, you know, just happy to be back. On um, appreciative of everybody that helped me get to be able to come back and um, contribute during the playoffs, and I'm just happy to be back playing football. Expect to play on Saturday. Do I expect to play? Oh, yeah. uh, see how this week goes, and we'll see where I'm at on Saturday. Uh, yeah, sure, he's not going to play. Sure, he's not going to play. Sure, we're not going to see him. Sure, he's not going to be out there being the modern-day Jim Brown running through and around the Cincinnati Bengals. And, hey, if he's 100%, and we have no reason to think he may not be, but if he is 100%, he's fresh. Everybody else is kind of worn down. And Larry Ogunjobi, done for the Bengals. That's one less body in the middle that could maybe clog up the uh, the line and keep Derrick Henry from busting his way through it and having a huge gain and exploding out of a cannon and just being gone. We've seen that over and over again. He's kind of Adrian Peterson and Jim Brown rolled into one. And he missed more than half of the season. Incredible. Missed more than half of the season, and the Titans still kept it going without him, and now they're ready to roll. I think we're going to see him on Saturday. And how can he not be a difference maker for the Tennessee Titans? One of the teams that the, the eight remaining teams, they are the most overlooked, disregarded and boring of the teams. And they may be the ones who end up hoisting the Lombardi trophy. Yeah. I don't think it's a question of whether he plays Mike. I think it's a question of how much he plays and a question of how well he plays. He's got to still play 
in that shoe. But if he wasn't close to 100%, I don't think he would be playing. So I think we're going to see Derrick Henry. The question is how many carries are they going to give him? It is amazing that he, he played half the – he played eight games. That's it. He played half, half the season, a little less than half the season. He still finished ninth in rushing with 937 yards and scored 10 touchdowns. And with all due respect to Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry is the best running back in football by a long shot. And he certainly makes Ryan Tannehill a better quarterback when he's out there. Oh, Henry would have had a shot at the single-season rushing record, yeah, especially with no the question. 17th game. Now, again, part of being a good running back is being healthy, and we didn't expect Derrick Henry to get injured. He has seemed indestructible. He had a ridiculously heavy workload at Alabama, and you know, it, it could be a cumulative effect of all those touches, all those reps, all those hits, all that wear and tear. But regardless, he should be good to go for now and that should be a big difference for the Tennessee Titans come Saturday Sunday on NBC three o'clock Eastern coverage begins at two o'clock you'll see the Rams at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers during the game you probably won't see Bruce Arians slap any helmets or elbow any players in the shoulder pads in an effort to get them away from a pile where they may be trying to pull an opponent off the pile because Bruce Arians did that on Sunday to Andrew Adams as he was trying to pull an Eagles player off the pile after a muff by Jalen Rager Arians fined $50,000 for that infraction. Here he is talking about the fine that was imposed earlier today against him by the league office. I guess the league uh, has fined you $50,000 for your encounter there on the sideline with Andrew Adams. Um, Do you plan to appeal it? Uh, Do you have anything else to say about what you're trying to do there? Uh, I'll appeal it. uh, It ain't got nothing to do with the game, so we're good. Well, no, it doesn't have anything to do with the game, but it's still pretty big news, especially for a guy who tried to poo-poo it all, saying that he's seen enough dumb. And, hey, there's a bright line. There's a bright line. And, and what used to be acceptable is no longer acceptable. And laying hands on players at any sport, at any level, is no longer acceptable. Period. He should be glad it was only $50,000, Shireen. And I don't know how the Glazers feel about this. You know, I've previously speculated, hey, they've got Byron Leftwich who may be leaving. They've got Todd Bowles who may be leaving. I don't know. Does this factor into their analysis as to whether or not they nudge Bruce Arians into retirement the way the Steelers did 10 years ago? I don't know. I don't know. But I thought the sport had evolved past this kind of stuff. And there's a lot of people that get mad when you start saying that. But I'm sorry. There's a bright line there. There is. And it's been in place for a while now. And he jumped right over it. Yeah, the NFL is supposed to hold coaches, front office people, owners to a higher standard. They talk about that a lot. They talk about the shield. That doesn't always happen. See Snyder Daniel for proof of that. But they should do that. And and he should be fine. And I don't know what he thinks he's appealing. There's nothing to appeal. He doesn't have it. You know, there's no union for coaches so i'm not even sure what he thinks he's appealing and it's just going to stay in the news if he does indeed appeal this thing just take your fine pay your fine and and move on and don't do it again i mean we saw urban meyer uh, fired for that was the last straw for him when he kicked josh lambeau when the news of that came out you've got no union you've got no independent arbitrator The league is going to handle the appeal of the decision the league has already made. They're not going to cut you a break. They are not going to overturn this. And you only would be doing it for PR reasons to rally the fans that are mad about the fact that Bruce Arians got fined. And there are people who are mad about it. They think that this stuff is okay. It's not. And you're right. The more he fights it, the more it stays in the news. And I would be more concerned about what ownership thinks about this. Because, again, you got Leftwich, you got Bowles. And they they did it. They did it with lovey smith they fired lovey smith because they thought they were going to lose dirk cutter that's the truth that's what happened the people involved may not like it sorry it's the truth and the truth may be that the glazers are thinking about doing something similar now and what happened on sunday is not going to make them less likely to to say to themselves it may be time for a change it's time for us to take a break when we return We will discuss the quarterback futures of the teams on either side of Pennsylvania. Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia and who knows in Pittsburgh. We'll discuss that next on PFTPM. You know, we talk about Jalen and the growth he had. uh, Really, first-year starter, second-year player, uh, leading this team to the playoffs. Um, Tremendously impressed by his work ethic, his leadership. We talked last time we talked was during camp, and we said we wanted to see him take the bull by the horn, and uh, he certainly did that. 
Is that a yes? Yes. Jalen knows where he stands with us. Um, you know, he knows he's our quarterback. How do you know where you stand with a coaching staff? Because you communicate and you talk over and over and over and over again. And so Jalen knows where he stands with us. Uh, I thought he did a great job of getting better throughout the year, as, we, as we've talked about. And so, yeah, there's no, there's no secrets there. He, he knows he's our guy. I feel like I have to go back and look at some of the statements that were made last year by Howie Roseman about Carson Wentz. I have a feeling that there was some some strong messages sent about them wanting to keep Carson Wentz until they didn't. But, you know, I think that with Jalen Hurts, there's a path that can be carved by the Eagles where where he's a second-tier guy. He knows he's a second-tier guy. They know he's a second-tier guy. They pay him accordingly at the appropriate time, and they have millions left over to put a quality team around him. Not everyone's going to have a franchise quarterback. Not everyone wants a quarterback to make him 45 to $50 million a year or more. Maybe that's the path the Eagles try here. Instead of over-leveraging in your quarterback position, have multiple guys who can play because they won a Super Bowl by having multiple guys who can play the position, but not having a guy that is going to be among the top five or ten compensated quarterbacks in the NFL. Well, and that's what I was going to be my point, Mike, is they've done it before this way when Carson Wentz got hurt. Now, he had an incredible first half of the season, what it was a week 15 or something, when he had his knee injury against the Rams. But he had an incredible season up until that point, and then Nick Foles takes him to the Super Bowl. They need to keep Gardner Minshew. I will say that. I think he's a really good backup quarterback, or if you're going to get on, move on from him, you need to get Nick Foles back in there. You need to have a backup that you can count on uh, in the case of Jalen Hurts getting hurt because he runs so much. He led the court, league's quarterbacks in rushing this year or because of a lack of success on the field that you have somebody that you can insert in there. But it's a great point by you, Mike, that you don't pay him all that money and you have more money to go around to put better players around him, and, and they think they can do that and win a Super Bowl. And, hey, I'm, I'm not going to argue with them because they've kind of done that before. And the thinking a year ago was, I believe, let's give him a year, see what he can do. Will he be a franchise quarterback? Well, he won't be. And, and well, he's somewhere in between. And somewhere in between is good enough, especially when you still have him for two more years under a very, very affordable rookie contract. You can kick the can. You can try to build around him. You can try to take advantage of the fact that you're not spending so much on a quarterback. And uh, they could do a lot worse than Jalen Hurts right now, backed up by Gardner Minshew, who still is under contract for one more season. Mason Rudolph, the possible, possible Steelers replacement for Ben Roethlisberger, he said today that he thinks he can be the guy next year in Pittsburgh, and that's his plan. Dwayne Haskins says that he feels he can be a starter in this league. I think that most Steelers fans would say none of the above, Shireen. I don't get it. With Haskins, with Haskins, I, I, I think that, there's still something to be determined because he was in Washington. And how do you really get a feel for what kind of a quarterback he's going to be when he's in that cesspool? But he also didn't overcome Mason Rudolph this year in Pittsburgh. And they probably gave him every opportunity to leapfrog Mason Rudolph. We've seen enough from Mason Rudolph. He's not the answer. I said earlier today, and I wrote this on PFT, the Steelers are in a position where they're an attractive team. They've got the coaching. They've got enough good players there will be veteran quarterbacks who want to play for them who are decent to great. Just sit back and wait and see how it all plays out. I think that's their best move. No question about it. You've got Najee Harris, who you drafted in the first round this past draft. You've got the defense with T.J. Watt and those guys on that side. You've got the coaching. You have everything in place except the quarterback. And frankly, if they had had the quarterback this season – this was a team I look at as potentially being a Super Bowl team. That's how close I think they are to, to being that team. They need the quarterback. So if you're one of these veteran quarterbacks, you have a no-trade clause, I'm putting Pittsburgh that I would accept a trade to, to Pittsburgh because this is a team that's ready to win now, and I think they can win now. And I don't expect either one of these guys to be their quarterback this season. I'm with you. I've seen enough of Mason Rudolph to know he's not the answer. He's had 17 appearances, 16 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He just hadn't done anything special to, to tell you that he can be that guy. And Dwayne Haskins, we haven't seen enough to even know about him. There were questions about his work ethic and commitment uh, in Washington. 
He was a one-year college starter. He just hasn't played that much. So they don't know really probably what they have in him, but I'm not putting my eggs in that basket to say, oh, I think he can become a great NFL quarterback. I just don't know that that's the route that you go either, if you have an opportunity to go get someone. I remember three years ago when Haskins was coming out of Ohio State and we were looking at some of his film from his time with the Buckeyes, there were some Roethlisberger-like tendencies there, the ability to extend the play behind the line of scrimmage, moving laterally, not running vertically, but moving laterally, big guy, off-schedule throws. But, but, but again, where you start your NFL career has such a huge impact on whether or not you thrive. And there were some maturity issues with Dwayne Haskins in Washington. That's undeniable. But I think the Steelers recognize there's something there worth trying to groom and develop. They got him for nothing, next to nothing, the absolute minimum for a player with his level of experience. It made sense. And I I, I looked around at the starters for the other teams this year. And again, I, I don't want to make this let's bash Mason Rudolph, but again, we got to be realistic about it. It would not be hard for them to improve over Mason Rudolph. There are plenty of veterans out there who may very well be available who are much better than Mason Rudolph. He had his chance this year against the Lions, and he couldn't beat the Lions. Through 70 minutes of football, he couldn't outscore the Lions. They tied that game. It's the only game they didn't win at home after Week Three's loss to the Cincinnati Bengals. They should have won that game to the Lions. Now, I can't say that they would have made the playoffs if they had because they made the playoffs anyway. Not losing the game actually helped them make the playoffs, but they should have won that game. And I just think over the past few years, we've seen more than enough. They need better. They need to expect more. They can get more. And and it's not a tough act to follow. That's the other thing that dawned on me this morning, Shereen. It's not like Roethlisberger was so good the past two years that someone's going to be intimidated by the shadow of Big Ben. He was a shadow of himself. You're going to step right in, and you're going to be a hero. If you're a veteran quarterback coming to Pittsburgh, they're going to be thrilled because you're going to immediately make that offense better. If you're a guy in your late 20s, early 30s with gas in the tank, with low wear and tear, you can come in and you can make that offense dramatically better. Well, it's a great point, Mike. You look at last year, right? In 2020, I'm talking about. They start out 11-0. and No one's talking about Ben Roethlisberger in the MVP conversation. And normally, when you have the last undefeated team, that quarterback you have in the MVP conversation, that tells you how good their team was with the lack of a quarterback doing what they needed the quarterback to do. He was a game manager at that point, and that's what he's been the last couple years for the Steelers. And it's been good enough to get them into the postseason this year. So, and last year too, they lost in the first round of the playoffs last year. Now they need somebody to take them that next step. Let's get over the hump. Let's win a playoff game, which we haven't done the last two years. Yeah, and I, I just think there's going to be plenty of quarterbacks who are looking at Pittsburgh favorably. And if they take their time yeah. and wait and kind of let it come to them, they'll have the leverage, they'll have the advantage, and they may be able to get someone to choose to come play for them for less money than they would get somewhere else. Let's take a break. We'll bust open the PFT PM mailbag when the Wednesday edition of the program continues right after this. Tom, there's this perception around the National Football League that you get favorable treatment. Not sure exactly why that perception exists. You've had one roughing the passer call this entire season until yesterday. Yeah, I always hear that to different degrees about getting penalties and so forth and roughing the passers and I think that speaks to it because they say that and I'm always in my mind going I don't remember the last time I got a roughing the passer you know and I I think uh we should look that up you know over the last whatever 10 years who's got the most roughing the passer penalties I hope it's not me because then I just you know put my foot in my mouth but I don't feel like I get them as much as people may think that I get them I do know that they probably let me get away with a lot of uh, unsportsmanlike conducts, you know, talking smack to the other team and talking smack to the refs when I don't think I get the right call. I'm kind of a pain in their ass if you don't already know that. Well, at least he's got some self-awareness. That's good. The robot is self-aware. Tom Brady does not get special treatment. Chris Collinsworth backs it up by saying he has the fourth lowest rate of roughing the passer calls since 2015 at 3.9%. I don't know that gross roughing the passer calls tells the whole story, though, because if you are committed to getting rid of the football before you get hit, you're going to get hit fewer times. You're necessarily going to have fewer roughing the passer calls. I think there would be an advanced metric along the lines of percentage of hits you take that result in roughing calls. Just total roughing calls. I mean, we've seen it. We saw it. In the NFC Championship last year, it's one of the reasons they almost lost the game. He's so committed to avoid getting hit, and that's fine. 
44 years old and he's still playing professional football. Be committed to avoid getting hit. He gets rid of the football. He throws it up for grabs before he takes a hit. So I, I'd love to see how many hits he takes relative to other quarterbacks because I don't think he gets hit very much because he gets rid of the football. No, and that avoids the roughing the passer penalties. He has five over the last three years. He did have one in the regular season. This year, as Jim Gray said, this year the, the guy who had the most, Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan had ten roughing the passer penalties against him this year, seven each for Tannehill and Golf. But you're right, it's in relation to how many hits they take as well because he doesn't hold the ball very long, Mike. Yeah. There's not very many hits he takes during a game. Once we started doing the weekly after further review segment on PFT Live, it seemed like every week Matt Ryan was popping up with a phantom, nothing the passer call. But hey, yeah. one of the benefits of playing football for a long time, they take care of you. Let's take care of the mailbag. At court's decision, maybe Jim Harbaugh's agent should pull a Russell Wilson. I have no interest in returning to the NFL, but if I were to return, these are the teams I'm willing to coach. Look, he doesn't have an agent, which is part of the problem, I think. To the extent he wants to get back, he needs to have somebody working this a little bit more aggressively for him. He's just sitting and waiting. He wants to come back. He wants to win a Super Bowl. He wants to go to the right situation. He's not anxious to leave Michigan. He's content to stay there. But I really do think it's driven by the fact that his brother has a Super Bowl win, and he doesn't, and he'd like to get one, and he knows the clock is ticking on his ability to do so, Shireen. I'm going to be really surprised that the Raiders don't have interest in him considering his relationship with Mark Davis. That, to me, just seems like a perfect match because it does look like the Raiders are moving on from Rich Bisaccia. So maybe they turn to Jim Harbaugh. That that would seem a place that, that he would fit and that Mark Davis would have him a big-name coach. Yeah, I agree with you, and it may move in that direction. With Mike Mayock out, with Rich Bisaccia likely out as well, because with, with Mayock gone, that doesn't bode well for Bisaccia. Maybe Harbaugh ends up being the guy. That's how this talk first started a few weeks ago, and it wouldn't be surprising if that's where it ends up. Fumble offense for you. Will Bill Belichick revamp his defensive, defensive coaching staff by replacing his son? No, that's the problem with hiring your kids. He's got two kids, Steve and Brian. Brian is a safeties coach. Steve is the outside linebackers coach and de facto co-defensive coordinator along with Gerard Mayo. You can't fire your kids. You can. You can. But good luck having a positive relationship with your kids if you fire them. And you can't fire other members of the defensive coaching staff when one of your kids is objectively more responsible for the failure that we saw on Saturday night. Uh, it's, it's just a problem. It's a problem. It's common. It happens. We wrote about it at PFT. There's a lot of reasons why it happens, but the fundamental problem is sometimes your kid needs to get fired and you can't fire him, Shireen. Yeah, one of Jason Garrett's favorite lines always was the NFL's a meritocracy. It, it's not at all. It's who you know. I mean, Jason Garrett's dad worked for the Cowboys for umpteenth number of years as a scout, and he had a relationship with the Cowboys as a player, all of those things. But it's amazing how many coaches' sons are coaching for them or coaching for other teams, and it does make it hard to get rid of them when you don't think they've done the job that you need them to do. You know, if Gerard Mayo leaves, uh, that to me is a big loss for the Patriots if he ends up going somewhere as a head coach. Now, I'd be surprised if he got a head coaching job with as little experience as he has right now. But if he does, I think that's bad news for the Patriots. I could watch that. I can watch these highlights uh, nonstop, not just because it's the Bills slicing and dicing the Patriots, but the, the puffs of, of air uh, coming out of the mouths of every player. It's, it's just, it was an awesome night, and hopefully we get a really cold game like that or two uh, the rest of the way. All right, Archer Edge. The Cowboys need to dump Zeke and keep Tony Pollard, then let Amari Cooper go and sign Michael Gallup and draft a receiver. Boy, this guy's got it all figured out. Is this Jerry Jones burner? Let McCarthy stand in the unemployment line or the McDonald's line. He's already familiar <laughs> with both. That is mean-spirited. Dan Quinn needs to be the head coach. Uh, th th that would be a curveball to all of this that we haven't really talked about. Instead of elevating Kellen Moore, you elevate Dan Quinn to the head coaching position. He took a team to the Super Bowl. He had a 28-3 lead in the late uh, stages of the third quarter against Tom Brady. But, you know, Shereen, the, uh, the problem with Zeke is much of his contract for next year is already fully guaranteed. They could move on from him, but good luck trading that contract without paying a big chunk of the money. And I assume Jerry, for the same reasons, he doesn't want to pay coaches to not coach. He doesn't want to pay players to not play. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And he did tear his PCL and tried to play through with that. He doesn't have to have surgery, McCarthy said today. So he should should be back at 100%. But it makes me wonder why the Cowboys didn't rest him during the season and let that thing heal because it did affect him the whole entire year. But they do have a lot of questions. And to me, one of the bigger questions he didn't address here is the offensive line. It's not very good anymore. And it's just a few years ago we were talking about this offensive line as one of the best in NFL history. That's where they definitely need to do some work in this offseason, and uh, plenty needs to be done with Amari Cooper as well. When he signed his five-year, $100 million contract a couple of years ago, it was a two-year, $40 million commitment. It'll be interesting to see if they keep him at $20 million for his salary in 2022. There's a chance that they may decide to move on from him. A Red Zona UK, it only took me 11 years to finally figure out how to properly pronounce Tom Marshall's Twitter handle. A Red Zona UK, what could the Cardinals see from Cliff Kingsbury in year four that we don't (laughs) already know, Shireen? Nothing. Uh, He is what he is. I mean, these late season collapses are his M.O. It's what his teams have done. It's what they did at Texas Tech. It's what they've done at the Cardinals. And I don't think just losing DeAndre Hopkins was was why the the Cardinals did what they did late in the season. There's just there's nothing there for me to say Cliff Kingsbury should come back and coach this team next year. Dr. J144 echoes that sentiment. He doesn't understand why people are arguing that Kingsbury needs more time. He is what he is at this point. And look, it's nine seasons of teams starting good to great, whether at Texas Tech or at Arizona, and then it falls apart midway toward the latter part of the season. It was glaring this year. He was on the hot seat when the season began at 10-2. and 1-5 and five down the stretch, unacceptable. The performance on Monday night, unacceptable. The execution of the offense, unacceptable. And this is a Cardinals team that has shown no qualms in the past about changing out coaches. I'm surprised that there's been yeah. nothing. One, and, and, you know, and again, until Michael Bidwell comes out and says Cliff Kingsbury's back, there's a chance that he's not back. So we're going to continue to keep an eye on that. We're keeping an eye on... Uh, well, let me do this first. Neil watches PFT. Can Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes be stopped this weekend? And which team has a better chance of slowing down the opposing quarterback? This could be one of those college football 41-38 games, Shereen, where nobody gets a stop, where it's like tennis. All you got to do is break serve one time to win the game. I hope so. I, I would really look forward to that, sort of that Rams-Chiefs game from a couple years ago that just went back and forth. That would be really fun to watch, and I hope it's really bad weather uh, so we can see a, a fun game in, in the snow. I, I think both offenses should be operating at a high level, and I'm hoping that it ends up being a special, memorable division round matchup. And by the way, by the way, I, I want to clarify to any, anyone out there that thinks I was picking only on Mark Davis today when I tweeted that he's going to muster all of the experience and skill that he developed by inheriting the team from his father in making the right decision. Hey, I, I think at some point I'm going to do a 32-team look at how the owners of each team actually got to the position where they own the teams. I think it will be very enlightening. I think it will be very depressing, Shireen. And Mark Davis is hardly alone in the I was in the right place at the right time department. Yeah, he's not alone. And I will definitely read that one, Mike. Well, that's added to the list. We'll see you tomorrow morning for PFT Live. Have a great evening. Thanks for watching.